0: Hi there. My name's Ryan Bernston, and this is 50 States of Mind, a cross-country journey to all 50 states to talk to mayors, governors, and voters on both sides of the aisle to figure out what's really going on in the United States. I'll be honest, when I started this trip, I wasn't optimistic about the state of our country. But after visiting our neighborhoods, towns, and communities, I've been given an exciting education that has allowed me to listen, challenge my preconceived notions, and taught me something new. Are you ready? Let's go. Episode 3, New Hampshire. This is episode 3, believe it or not, and I have an extra special guest here.
1: My name is Marco. Marco Morero Kasipo. But everyone, and I mean everyone, including my parents, calls me Marco.
0: Does your name mean something?
1: Yeah, it means blessings. I mean, yeah. that's very appropriate. Oh,
0: look at you. So, where are you from?
1: I'm from Zimbabwe.
0: Kwekwe.
1: Kwekwe, yes. Kwe. yes, a small town right bang in the middle of Zimbabwe. So yes, I was born in Zimbabwe and I I was I grew up in Zimbabwe. I've had a bit of an adventurous life because you know how Zimbabwe's politics have been. So I came here when I was here, that's UK, when I was 16-ish, 17, after I finished my GCSEs, and then I some schooling. I went back about five years ago. Then I came back again, two years ago.
0: What is your profession?
1: I am a doctor. Oh my goodness, you set me up. Yes, I am a doctor. <laughs> and I always have to say this, I am not yet specialized. So I'm quite, quite general at the moment. Listen, so I'm like halfway through it.
0: I don't think you realize that coming from someone who is First job was birthday party clown, sitting in a room with a doctor. I don't care if you're specialized or not, I'm I'm impressed.
1: Thank you. I'll take it.
0: When did you decide that you wanted to be a doctor?
1: I decided, it was quite a tough decision for me. So it was, you, you have to decide quite early. So you have to decide when you're about 16, when you finish your GCSEs, because you need to decide on the subjects you're going to take for A-levels.
0: Was this when you were in Zimbabwe or in DK?
1: <clears throat> so it was, because I finished my GCSEs in Zimbabwe. Then I came here to do my A-levels, but we have similar systems. So I had to decide to do sciences. So that's when I decided. Not really decided, because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do medicine, because it's it's maybe too expected. If you're good at sciences and you're African, then you either do medicine or you do engineering. If you're good at arts, you become a lawyer. So I was trying to make a decision, and I couldn't decide between doing medicine or going... The literature, because I really loved literature when I was young. So I did sciences and also I did English. I feel like a lot of African stories, Zimbabwean stories, are not actually told by Zimbabweans. So I like to write my own story from my own perspective. So yes, I like to write about Zimbabwe.
0: Do you feel like there are misconceptions about Zimbabwe out there in the world?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because people... When they hear, I'm not sure if it's the same now, but it was a few years ago, when they hear that you're Zimbabwean, and they see that you're black, they assume that you hate white people. Because in Zimbabwean political history, like in 2000, there was a big thing with the white farmers and things like that.
0: What happened in 2000?
1: Ah, so that's when, that's when Zimbabwe started going really, really downhill. Because we are quite an agricultural country. We used to be the breadbasket of Africa. We used to have like a really big agricultural role in Africa and, you know, all over the world. So there was the things that most, like, you know how it is. I'm not going to go into colonisation because that's just too much. But, you know, so most commercial farms were owned by white people. And one of the promises of independence was that, that the land was going to be given back to the people. So there was supposed to be this plan when the, the help of the UK government and the Zimbabwean government, we work together as one. We are a rainbow nation. We're going to work together and we're going to redistribute the land thoughtfully and slowly and properly. But the government at this point was losing popularity and losing power. Our economy was starting to go down because of corruption and and all that stuff So to gain popularity The government had this thing about Giving the people back the land So what they did was They seized all the All the farms from the white farmers And they Used people to do that They, you know, they seized them quite violently
0: So they used the military basically?
1: They used not I'm not sure how much they used the military actually they used, But they used like I don't know how to say it in a, in a, in a Polite way there was a bit of, like, a, I guess a horde mentality. I'm not sure exactly how to explain it. So there were, like, a number of people. like So some, like, people people, if that makes sense. And they would storm farms. So it's sort of a mob? Yes. Uh. Yes, and they would storm farms, and they would raid the farms, and they would take the farms and chase the families away. So that was when our problems really started. But after the government did that, they didn't actually redistribute the land. So they would give it to, like, politicians. So there are politicians who know nothing about farming, who have, like, 14 farms.
0: And do they hire the old farmers to work on the farms? or Some
1: do, but very few. Most of them just did nothing. And they just let the farms get run down. So now the farms are just sitting there. Not much is being done. So now they are starting to try... To hire the farmers back and to sell the land back, or oh, I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but it's, there's so much corruption and there's so much going on that it's not really working.
0: So, yes. so nobody wins basically. The the white farmers are out of work, out of a farm, and mm-hmm. the African farmers never got their land. Yeah. And the politicians basically aren't doing the job that needs that to be get, done.
1: That needs to be done.
0: And that's been going on for twenty years.
1: Yeah. And so that's when, you know, I'm not sure how much you know about Zimbabwean politics. So that's when the whole, like, the, because we used to have a Zimbabwean dollar. That's mm-hmm. when the economy crashed, and the Zimbabwean dollar crashed. We are in the, the record books for having the worst inflation rate in economic cry, uh, crash in history. Yes so it was, there was, was the, that in two thousand it, it was there was like the worst year like the one that there's a the year that everyone dreads is like two thousand
0: and eight yeah that's the that happened internationally right
1: yeah so like that that also contributed so that's what, that was the worst year in zimbabwe so if you go to zimbabwe now and say two thousand two thousand two thousand and eight, two thousand and eight everyone knows what you're talking about it's like when You know how like in textbooks when they're talking about like Germany after the First World War, and people were walking around with buckets of money and they couldn't use that money to buy bread, that kind of thing that was happening.
0: Were you there for that?:
1: I wasn't actually, but my father was there because he's in business, so he used to work around with, like a stage of money and he used to like so he's a businessman, so he pays people like to work for him. So let's say he'd pay someone to work for him right at the end of the month. So, they'll then because like he works in mining, so they have like mining compounds, and then they have to go to the like nearby town quick to buy like their groceries or something. So, when you get paid, your money is enough for groceries, right? So, you all like decide to go to town, you pay for your transport, you get to town, it's not enough by the time you get to town, it's not enough for groceries anymore, it's enough for one or two things, and then a few hours later, it's not enough for one or two things anymore, it's enough for a meal. And then a few hours later, it's not even enough for a meal anymore. So they end up sharing a meal
0: because because the money value is going down that fast. It's going down that fast.
1: So in the end, he was paying people with like groceries and things because money wasn't worth anything.
0: And how long did that crisis last?
1: It lasted. um, So I think that was like the crisis point. So that's when. So we had Mugabe as the president. We had elections as well in 2008 and things were just like falling apart. And that's when the government and the opposition leaders came together to form a unity government. And that's when we became, they dollarized the economy. So in Zimbabwe, we use the US dollar, actually. Yeah. And um, so that's when things started picking up a little bit. But that's because the opposition leader, Mogen Changrai, sort of took over like trying to to revitalize everything and trying to get help from the outside and all that stuff.
0: Do you have family left in Zimbabwe?
1: Yes, most of my family is in Zimbabwe actually. So I have my uh, my parents are in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and my dad. My brother is in Zimbabwe, and he used to say he's twenty. What twenty nine, twenty eight? He used to say the only way he's leaving Zimbabwe is if they close the gates and say Zimbabwe is closed. Otherwise, he's staying put.
0: He loves it that much?
1: I don't know why. Oh, I do, because I'm very patriotic. I don't know why, actually. So you said he's never going to leave. Uh, my little sister is in Zimbabwe as well. She's 18, though, so she was in school. So she just finished this year.
0: And what does your mom do if your dad works in business?
1: My mom, um, she is... Well, she used to be a social worker initially. And then... Uh, that's when we came here. She was working as a social worker here. She went back home. She started a nursery garden with like her plants and things. She built a restaurant. Yes. So my book is actually set in her nursery garden. And then all this time she'd been really interested in politics. So she'd been trying to get into politics and my dad wouldn't let her because he didn't want to die. <laughs> he didn't want anyone else around her to die. Is
0: it that serious?
1: It, it can be. It can be. Because they there's a thing about road accidents in Zimbabwe. So a lot of opposition people died that way. So you didn't want that to happen.
0: Is she in the opposition party?
1: Yeah. So yeah. So recently we had our elections in 2018. Yes. So so we had the the not the coup that was not a coup in 2017 where we changed presidents and then we had elections in 2018. So she was part of the opposition party. So she became a councillor in, in my city, and now she's like the mayor of Kwe, Kwe.
0: She's the mayor? Yes. Is she is the, a...
1: the first black mayor. In... She's the first black mayor? So the first black female mayor. Oh my gosh. Yeah, in Zimbabwe. And she says the first black female mayor in the southern region of Africa. I'm not sure if that's true, but I think probably.
0: You must be so proud.
1: I am. I am actually. Yeah.
0: And how has it been going for her? Has she found it to be difficult? Has she been able to enact the things that she ran on?
1: She has found it... She has found it difficult, actually. Or... I don't know, because I feel like my mom is a really idealistic person. Because I feel like... Because of our history and the way things have been happening in Zimbabwe, most people are quite cynical. But she is quite idealistic. She's always been had this thing about going into politics and changing things. So... Yeah, so I think now that she's in there, she realises how much politics there is in politics. So it's one of those things. She's the first female mayor in the country. And wow. she got a lot of publicity because of it. More publicity. And she's this was her first time actually being in politics. And she got more publicity than the people who have been leading the opposition party for like 20 years now. So a lot of people, not a lot, but some of the people didn't like that.
0: They're kind of jealous.
1: Yeah, yeah. So she found it very difficult to get things started. It's getting better now, but at the beginning, it was quite difficult. And also, because she's in the opposition, she got a lot of publicity, and everyone's like, oh, fantastic, a woman is mayor. And so the the main government... Please don't let them kill me, Ryan, because of this podcast. But the main government sort of, I don't know, tried to sabotage her a lot. So she comes out a lot in like the state papers, You know, and they'll say things like, oh, she wants to buy a car. Oh, she wants to spend this much money or that kind of thing to to like make her look bad. So she finds it difficult to be constantly in the papers and to to have people always commenting and things.
0: Does the state control the press?
1: It does. Like so there's like there's like a number of newspapers, but like there's a main newspapers when everyone knows these are like controlled by the state. So you read the stories and you know that it will be like, for example, let's say something is happening, like something really big. Like there was a cyclone like a few weeks ago and lots of people are dying. They will not really talk about, you know, the infrastructure and how things are not put in place. They will talk about how the president is being fantastic and raising money and that kind of thing. So people know that that they lie, you know. So it's that paper, it's this, that system
0: And that's the one that says things about your mom buying a car that aren't true. Yes, yes.
1: But there's always like a game of truth. For example, with the car, like um, she, the mayor's office doesn't really have a a proper car. Their car is like 20 years old or something. So the office wants to buy a new car for the office, not a car that she'd use in her own time or a car that she would have at her house. It would be a car that would be at the offices Mm -hmm. with a driver for state visits. But the paper won't say that they'll say that they're buying her car, but they're buying the officer car. And they'll say they're spending 500000 on a car, which they're not.
0: But... So it's partial truths and then outright lies, yeah. kind of combined. Yeah. Fascinating.
1: Yeah, so yeah. So
0: she's got a, a big job ahead of her. What are some of her main priorities for the way
1: So the main priorities um, So her main thing at the moment is trying to, to fix the water issue. So... If you've ever been to Africa, you know two things about Africa. It's the electricity. We always have power cuts. It's one of those things, you always have them. I know, like, in this country, if there's going to be a power cut for an hour, they will start telling you, like, three months in advance to say, there's going to be a power cut. We always have power cuts. We expect power cuts. And also, in Zimbabwe, there's a thing about water. Like, some areas will have their water cut off, like, for like a good chunk of their day. So you know that every day between this time and this time, there'll be no water. Or some areas don't actually get any water from the council at all. So people have had to build boreholes. They've had to build, like um, tanks to like to store water and things like that. So her main thing is to try to get the water pumps fixed, get the treatments for the water in place, and then get the get everyone in Kwekwe getting some water. That's the main thing. So I feel like if she does that, then no matter what anyone else says about cars or whatever, she would have done something really big.
0: That's amazing. Really yeah. focusing on infrastructure.
1: Yeah. Um. What's your mom's name? Angeline Cassipo. Angeline.
0: Castibo. Yeah. Best of luck. I'll have to I'll have to follow along with her progress. That's really exciting.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. You must yeah.
0: be proud and she must be proud of you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do, you, uh, do you ever... Wanna go back or do you wanna stay here?
1: I uh huh. I I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I want to go back yet because I have worked in Zimbabwe as a doctor. Mm-hmm. And it is it is really tough because it is really, really difficult to work in a country where you know what the answer to a problem is, you know what you need to do and you can't do it because of the resources. So a part of me wants to go back and make a difference but a part of me is a bit selfish and I don't want to keep putting myself through through that so I don't know because it's quite it's quite emotionally traumatic I feel like to constantly feel like to watch people dying and not be able to do anything even though what you could do if things were different is very simple antibiotics like getting medical care early or things like that and you can't do that and it's I don't know it's tough
0: yeah, it's it's the question of do you want to fight every day to be the agent of change and maybe not see it come to pass or be in a place where you don't have to put on that burden and can still make a difference?
1: Yeah, be really difficult. Yeah. yeah, so unlike my mom, I don't think I'm that brave or that selfless to be able to do that. But but you never know what life brings. So never know. yeah, so maybe one of these days. Not anytime soon, please. Home office, not anytime soon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. so
0: we also have sponsorship from the Home Office uh, for our podcast. So I, I,
1: I love our so. 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 I, love the UK. The Queen forever.
0: <laughs> um, have you ever been to America before?
1: I have actually. I've been to to New York uh, when I was in university. I did that. You know, those was like a camp America things. But it wasn't, like, you know when you do Camp America, when you you guys have your camping, summer camping things that you gotta oh, yeah? do, and you have counselors, and you have, like, companies that come to this country to, like, recruit people to be counselors. Yeah. So okay. I did one of those. So, like, but it wasn't Camp America, but that's the most famous one I know. It's, like, Fresh Air Fund. Yeah. And then they, I was, like, a camp counselor for, I don't know, like, eight weeks or something.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you remember where it was?
1: I don't know. And it was in New York State. But I don't remember exactly where it was. But it was, yeah, it was quite close to to the city. It would, like, on the weekends or when we are like, weekend off or something, we'd go to the city and, like, go to, like, what you call, like, jazz bars and, like, the one with the poetry and, like, poetry nights nice and things like so that. Like poetry slams, things like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you remember where you went in New York City?
1: I, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't go to as many places as I would have, because I, I didn't go to, like, the main places. I didn't go to the Empire State or to the statues. Because we didn't have the money. <laughs> They're quite expensive at the time as well. So we just like went like shopping. So I guess we did have the money. We just chose to use it differently. <laughs> we went shopping. I went to Harlem. I remember that. I liked it. But then this was America when we were still, you know, pre Trump. So everyone was still quite idealistic about America then, I think. It was when it was 2009 ish, around that time. So I liked it. It was, it was really big. People are really friendly, they're really open. And it was quite easy to get involved. So I think maybe because of the environment I was in as well. Because we're working with like disadvantaged children from like, you know, poorer backgrounds, I guess, in New York. But they were they were not what I thought they were, because when you you know, you think about disadvantaged children from from outside America, you think they're going going to be tough and like swearing and things like that. And they're not actually. They just ha, huh, they just know more people, right? They're just kids trying to have a good time. So it was I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed working with the kids as well. But I I always enjoy working with children. So it was it was good. It was more open though. Because I think in those days as well was before the the revolution or whatever it is that we're going through at the moment, you know. So what what revolution? You know, about sexuality and Uh, gender and all that. It was before all that. mm -hmm. But I did find it more open. Like so the kids were more open about but talking about sex... Sim- I don't know, because we had like, oh, like I had an occasion where like a child came to me, well, not a child, like they're teenagers, and she's like, oh, I think I'm, I'm gay or something, and I was like, I'm not sure if this is appropriate to talk about. <laughs>
0: There's nothing is off limits.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, but I'm not sure like what what my point is, but it was like it was more open about mm-hmm. things.
0: So that wouldn't know? happen in Zimbabwe.
1: Oh no, that definitely wouldn't happen in Zimbabwe. I mean, I, I guess if you're a teenager, would it happen? It might, but then you tell them to, to keep their mouth shut because it's illegal in Zimbabwe to be gay. Mm-hmm. Like, you do have people who are gay, but you just, you just don't, you just don't say it because, one, we're very, very religious, so people will start, like, praying for you. And I don't think that's healthy. And then, well, everyone can use a prayer as long as... No, no, uh, no, no, that type of prayer when they're like, praying to cast out demons kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. And you can get arrested. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone being arrested for being gay. But it's one of those things where it's like it's illegal. So I suppose technically you could get arrested. And people are not as tolerant. Some people are not as tolerant.
0: Well it's such a weird thing too because it can pop up in any family. It, yeah. You could be the most powerful, well connected family and all of a sudden you have a gay daughter or you can be, you know, living in a remote town and have a gay son, and that's uh and that's something so I think people sometimes turn a blind eye to it, but
1: You do, you do, and I feel like it's one of those things is because you like you would tell someone, like it's not something that you you say people don't come out. Maybe they do. I don't know. like, I I suppose it depends on the family as well. But you wouldn't like come out to to the public. Because there is a stigma, which is unfair. So it's one of those situations where people are known to be gay. Men are known to be gay. But they also get married and have children. They have like beards. And it's like that's quite sad, isn't it? So like people know you're gay. And people, everyone will know. But then you know you have to keep up appearances still.
0: Yeah. Um, what were your other impressions of America? Maybe being the city.
1: Um. No, it was okay. It was okay. It was good. I I really enjoyed it. But I was I was I was young and I was a little bit in my head as well and I was a little bit you know, I don't know, a bit immature I think a bit naive. But I enjoyed it. It was the time after Obama, had been elected for the first time, so everyone was. Still wearing the T-shirt. Remember that T-shirt with the faces? Yeah, everyone is still wearing that T-shirt. You know, be the change. What was this thing? No, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, that was still in the air. So it was quite, it was a really good time. It was a really good time. So I, I liked it. And I liked America. I liked America. I, I had to think about that. And I, I, I did, I did. I feel like after Trump, that's when it's sort of like the rosy colored glasses. That's when they sort of like fell off. But before that, I was like, oh, America is fantastic. It's like the most open, the most, like, like with so many opportunities and most progressive and that kind of thing.
0: Mm. Yeah. So you said the rose-colored glasses fell off after Trump. Mm. Um, off of that point, do you have a question that you have about America that you've always wanted to ask about America or about what's happened recently there?
1: hmm like, you know how when you're watching something from the outside, like when you're just watching the news, you don't know how much of that is representational, you know. I don't know how much of what I see in the news is actually what it's like on the ground. It's the thing about being Zimbabwean as well, when everyone assumes that because I'm Zimbabwean, I must have been one of the people storming the farms and, like, burning down the buildings when I wasn't. I was 12 years old. I didn't know what was going on. So I don't actually... And then but that doesn't get represented. So I don't know how much of the full picture... I see.
0: You know, believe it or not, as an insider, that's true as well. And that's kind of what this project was about. I saw Mm. these doom and gloom, awful things on the news. I thought, you know, is this really my country? Is Mm. this this place I came from? And after driving around to 150 cities, meeting so many different types of people from so many political, ethnic, religious, sexual orientation backgrounds, Mm -hmm. I can tell you that Well, tell me what your impression is of America now and what's changed from Obama to Trump.
2: I
1: think that America is, from what I see, it's very divided. And I feel like no one is listening to anyone. I feel like there's a lot of people who talk just to talk and just to make points and just to win the argument. And no one actually stops to think about what she's saying. And I feel like the difference between Obama and Trump, or like the difference in America between Obama and Trump, is what became okay to to say out loud, maybe, and what became okay to I don't know. Like, so if you have your ideas about what you feel about a certain group of people before, you probably had the same ideas, but you you kept it to yourself, right? But now it seems like it's okay to just say what you want to say about people. That are really, really damaging, but people don't think so. Like, I think, for example, the race relations, from what I can see, right? It's like people feel it's okay to, because I don't want to say it to be racist, because it's not it, to say things to win an argument, or to concede points to win an argument. I do think Trump is racist. I don't think all his followers are racist, or like, oh, the people who support him are racist. But i think they sort of ignore that part of him and they sort of ignore the damage it does and they don't realize how much damage it does that is not as easy to to forget or to get over once his thing is done and there's a new person in power it's not going to be easy to go back to to being you know friendly i, I guess
0: so with what you've seen from america mm-hmm. From your time in New York in 2009 and mm-hmm. what you see of America now mm-hmm. can you reconcile the two?
1: I guess I can I think I don't think it's, it's like because when I was in America in um, 2009 it was because I, I did go to to Harlem and I did go to like areas that are predominantly black with like black history and you, you see the history and I feel like maybe now like there's a, there is some, like there's always been some like resentment and some things that had sort of been swept over. And I think sometimes it's okay to sweep things under the carpet and just to like try to just get on with it. Because I feel like there's so much, there's so much history in America that it's like you can't get over it or you can't you can't justify it or you can't explain it or you can't whatever. You just have to just like draw a line and just say, okay, we just need to move on. So I feel like there was a lot but it's quite easy to to reignite all the resentments and all the emotions and that kind of thing. So there was like, you know, there were aspects about black history that I learned when I was in Harlem that I didn't know about that now looking at it I'm like, okay, I can see where it's like, you know, what's happening now is sort of a reflection of it. Because I feel like sometimes when things change, and I think this is happening in South Africa as well, it's like we all want to to have what's best, and we all want to make the best of, of you know, of our country and move forward and heal the past and and move on. But a lot of things that happened in the past really affect what's happening. A lot of things really affect where people are in their circumstances, in their opportunities in life. So if you can't ignore them, and when you Try to glue them; they still come out. I don't think that makes sense. I don't think oh, okay. that
0: sense. makes sense. It completely
1: makes sense. Because the same thing happened in Zimbabwe. Because we like we got our independence what thirty five years ago, so people like feel like colonization was a long time ago. But my mother was eighteen when we got our independence. It's not that long ago. So when things start getting hard and like whatever, it's quite easy for people to go back to that state of mind when like. This person is your enemy, and this person is your friend. Whatever it is, so it's like it's easy to stir things up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But Would you ever go back to America?
1: I would. I would. It's not easy to go to America. You realize that.
0: Like logistically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Emotionally, <laughs> not easy, but logistically, logistic-
1: like just but mostly logistically. And I'm always scared that you guys are going to like. I'll be in the airplane, and you're going to be like, "No, we don't take the bubbles anymore." That's what you did, didn't you?
0: Do we do that? Yes.
1: Well, not to Zimbabweans.
0: But, oh two, to yeah. all the people on the...
1: Yeah. The, on and then the you're, plan. like, stuck at the border with all your crap and you, like, say goodbye to everybody. And they're like, oh, no, we don't take you kind anymore. I'm always scared that's going to happen. I don't think so. I don't know. It could happen.
0: Do you think it could happen?
1: Well, it has happened. Could it happen to me? Eh, no, I don't think Zimbabwe is that important to America, to be honest. I don't think we're part of your narrative, so it probably wouldn't.
0: (laughs) We've been part of our narrative.
1: You know, we don't have any history in Zimbabwe. Not really. Yeah. And maybe that's why I I feel a bit more open-minded about America. We don't have any, like, direct interactions. Yes, my feelings for this country are more conflicted, maybe. Because Because of
0: colonization.
1: Yes, and, yeah, Yes. But I could go back if I could get a visa.
0: Well, the American visa office is also, sponsor is it of this also sponsoring yeah. this <laughs> yes. So, yes. <laughs> I'll, then, I'll pull some strings.
1: Yeah, no, but I think no, I think it is a fantastic country, and is I feel like you've influenced so much culture all over the world. So it'll be interesting to to see more and to learn more. And, you know, it sounds like a really beautiful country as well. You got so many like different things to see.
0: Well, that sounds like a perfect segue into what state we're going to be talking about today. Um, this was a state that it was very small, mm-hmm. and people didn't really want to chat with me. The past two states, Ohio and Vermont, I had a lot of people, a lot of mayors. Uh, people were very open to talk, but in this state, it was a little harder to find people. People were a little more closed off. What do you know about the state of New Hampshire?
1: New Hampshire. Ah, they have nice trees, don't they?
0: Oh, the trees are beautiful. Like the forests
1: and things. No, because I read a lot of like novels and I think in New Hampshire, that's not New England. Is it?
0: New England's a region. Ah. New Hampshire's a state, yeah. Ah.
1: It is. What do I know about New Hampshire? I know it was a blue state and then it wasn't and then it was, or something like that. I don't know. It was one of those, wasn't it? Is it, there's one state, because we did watch the. The 2016 elections. There was one state which didn't have that many people, like very, very few people. Like so, it was I don't know.
0: The state you were talking about, the 2016 election, where there are not a lot of people, but it was very pivotal. Mm-hmm. That's what the interview you're gonna listen to ah, is all
1: about. Okay.
0: Um. Yeah. So I, the first place I went, I had nothing planned for New Hampshire, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go visit a friend of mine who I worked with on the Hillary Clinton campaign in Iowa, which is the first primary state it's caucus state it's the first one that begins the presidential nominating process and then new hampshire is second oh, okay. so i went to visit him at dartmouth college have you heard of dartmouth i have yeah
1: it means nothing to me but i've heard that name actually quite it's a few times one of
0: the ivy league schools kind of preppy yeah. out in the woods but it's in a very small town and i went to go visit him and i said listen man i have no one to talk to can you think of anyone that might want to have an interview with me and he said well my roommate is the president of the dartmouth College Democrats." Okay. And so I got to talk to him in the cafeteria a little bit about their role in the 2016 election and how close it was, and how meme culture affects how people vote. Do you know about memes?
1: I know about memes. Great. Yes. The dark continent is not so dark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Okay. Let's listen to the interview and we'll uh, we'll get your thoughts.
2: So my name is Max Brodegam. I'm a junior at. Dartmouth College. So I'm currently president of Dartmouth College Democrats the uh, campus Democrats club. I think where the work we're doing is not only relevant but vital. Uh, Young people don't really turn out to vote unless prompted. Research shows that you need to contact a college student nine times before they will reliably vote and since this is a demographic particularly at Dartmouth that is overwhelmingly in favor of the Democrats it means that it's very rewarding for us to put a ton of energy into making sure these people who otherwise probably wouldn't vote go out and vote. The demographic of ages 18 to 35 is the largest voting block in the country, and they turned out lower than any other voting block. Dartmouth has an undergraduate population of about 4,400 students and a graduate population of 2,000, and Hanover as a whole is about another seven or 8,000 people. Uh, UNH is the only school in New Hampshire I think that's bigger, but I might be wrong. Um, but the point is... Hillary Clinton won New Hampshire by about two thousand votes, and Maggie Hassan, uh, our our most recently elected senator, won in twenty sixteen by a little over thousand votes. So that's about one year, one class at Dartmouth. Sure, there's international students. Sure, there's you know twenty percent of the you know schools votes Republican, um, whatever. But still, that's you know a fraction of the student body. That was necessary to go out and vote. Um, it made all the difference in the world. So Maggie Hassan, if she hadn't been, ele- or if she hadn't been elected, we would have had Kelly Ayotte, who is known uh, to be opposed to the Affordable Care Act. So had we had a different senator uh, instead of Maggie Hassan, who won by such a narrow margin, uh, then the Affordable Care Act would have almost certainly been repealed. Um, that's the kind of importance of these of the work we're doing here. It's not just the first in the, in the nation in terms of, you know, when we have our primaries. And that's important. That's very, very important. Um, it's not just that we're a swing state. It's also that we're so small. Um, and that as a small state, particularly with Senate races, we have a huge amount of influence uh, per voter. Can you talk about
0: the... Campus meme culture and what you mean as a <laughs> yeah. uh, cultural force as the
2: uh, college Dems. So many schools across uh, the country and across the world, I guess, in the case of Oxford, uh, have adopted meme pages where they basically use you know visual format jokes. We've achieved meme status. So this homecoming bonfire has achieving meme status. It's a, it's a cultural tradition, but also big in this meme group lately has been have been jokes about Dartmouth Democrats. And the fact that we've been all over campus with clipboards talking to potential voters. Saying, hey, have you registered to vote yet? And we're we're so on top of it. It's so so pervasive um, that people are heavily joking culturally about um, the fact that everyone's been harassed (laughs) by... You know, the College Democrats, because we're everywhere and we're talking to so many people to the point where it's become an item like, yeah, I got harassed about them today, too. Or Hey, they asked me if I registered to vote. First, other people are going to feel like it's harassing, but that's that's politics. Politics is a contact sport. What do you think about that?
1: It's interesting, actually. I think they are doing a good work. I'm, I'm a bit jealous, actually. To live in a country where you, someone has to be telling you constantly to go vote, that means you're living well. When you're like, oh, I can't be bothered to go vote. Things are doing fine. When things are really bad, no one has to remind you to go vote. Do so, people
0: have to remind you in Zimbabwe seven or eight times to vote?
1: People get beat up. They get beat up so that they don't go vote. So I feel like, hmm. it's it's privilege problems, aren't they? But no, but then, no, that's mean. That's mean. No, I think, it's kind
0: of true. <laughs> it's like you need a meme to remind people go to, to go like,
1: Oh, to go vote, go vote, go vote. To make a decision about who you want to lead your future. No, please. Please, we're begging you. We'll give you a free gift.
0: I'm yeah. kind of busy. Um, I've got some other things going yeah, on. Yeah, and
1: I'm like, yes. Yes, you're living a good life. Yeah. <laughs> you're living a good life. Because we have... Um, in Zimbabwe, it's like, for example, I can't vote if I'm not in Zimbabwe. You know how you can vote, like, outside if you... whatever. I can't vote. We're not allowed. And to go vote, like, people get... Like, voting season is so stressful. Like, for us, a successful election is when no one gets beat up, when people are not being intimidated and, like, whatever. So, but, yeah.
0: It really puts things into perspective when people are like, yeah, I don't really like Trump or Hillary. Um, So I'm
1: just going to do nothing.
0: I have a lot of friends that will come up to me and be like, yeah, I know you worked for Hillary. Um, Yeah, I didn't vote for her. I was like, oh, my gosh, you voted for Trump. They're like, no, I just, like, left it blank. I'm like, cool, man. Yeah, in Zimbabwe, do people ever vote for a third party or leave something blank? Blank?
1: No, no. But then our votes don't really count, though. To be honest, so you vote, and then it's like, no, the country has fourteen million people, but fifty million people seem to have voted for the president now, and I'm like, oh, somehow we managed to like quadruple in size and vote for the wrong person. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fine. So no, no, we, so we don't. But I don't know because I feel like I suppose. What is the answer? Because I feel like if you have a question because I think that was the problem. People expected Hillary to win. So if you have like, you know, reservations about Hillary how do you, how do you say them? How do you show that?
2: Hmm.
1: But you, you vote for the other person? I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it did raise a lot of questions in America that, you know that we were not aware of, that you guys weren't aware of. So if Trump has done something, he has peeled back, you know, something and showed that there's actually things that need to be considered. So,
0: and that's yeah. what's been so powerful about this trip is talking to people, um, who are so different from me about if they voted for Trump, why they did mm-hmm. or people, if they didn't vote for Hillary or Trump, why they feel left out of the political conversation and what they feel like they can do about it. They can it. do about it. And, yeah. um, Actually I think what your mom's doing is probably the best thing because being a mayor and making tangible change in a town where you actually live mm. that's the that's the good stuff cuz yes. you're still connected to the people.
1: Yes. Yes. So I hope I hope it goes well though and I hope she she is allowed to make to make the changes she wants cuz I that's another thing about American politics it's a lot of like you know blocking each other isn't it there's a lot of like people arguing and like not getting anything done because because of partisanship and what what so i hope i hope she can make things happen but going back to your to your student guy, i have to say i do i do like that i feel like the people who are who are active are really really active to become a meme you have to be doing something (laughs) you have to be doing something right so i do admire that i do hope that more people go vote Please go vote. Because even in this country, with Brexit, it's like less than half of the people who can vote voted. And it's such a big part of the future. And it's like, now you're stuck with this decision that you couldn't even be bothered to go make. And now you have to, to, to live with it. So, and
0: does Brexit affect you and your visa?
1: It does make it easier, I think. For non-Europeans, such as myself... To To have more opportunities. Because before, for example, let's say I want to apply for training in my job. You will have to, the positions, the training posts, go first to British and EU doctors.
0: British S- and EU doctors. Yes.
1: I see. Yes. Is it British and then EU? Or British and EU? But it's like those both of them, they go first. And then it's everyone else. So now I'm not competing with British and like and so there's like they they go and then the rest of you then fight over the spaces that are left. Mm. So if they take away the EU part of it, then there's more no space for us. So, so for us, like for Africans, it's a good thing.
0: The Brexit's actually good for you.
1: In a way, it's but I'm not sure how good it is for the economy and for everything. But for our opportunities,
0: it's cool to be here. I guess it's not cool. Um, it's like watching a car crash, but it's interesting that we're here for this. Like we're watching history mm. unfold. Isn't the right word? More like. Sort of like crinkle, -crinkle. (laughs) uncrinkle.
1: (laughs) That's true, but then, but then, actually, but when you're living through it, actually, it's not really part of your day to day. I mean, it's the news; it's in the news all the time. But actually, on the ground, it's like you're just trying to get on with your thing, you know.
0: And isn't that? I think that's history in general. Yeah. Um, I guess unless there's like a, I mean. Even going back to talking about the mobs in Zimbabwe, Mm. what were you doing during during that?
1: Yes, because I remember... No, because I remember that it was in the news a lot, but it was like propaganda, and it's like, I don't know. And I was, what, 2000. I was like 14, actually. So I didn't care. I didn't realise what was happening. I was in boarding school. We... We, you know, anyway, it was very regimented boarding school, English style boarding schools. You're not allowed to watch TV, you're not allowed to, whatever, you're in your dorms or you're in the prep room. And then I remember when the 9 11 happened in America, that was the only time we were allowed to watch TV during the week. So we're actually allowed to watch the news. But this whole time, and I didn't go because I thought it was another farm invasion thing going on. So I didn't actually watch the 9 11 thing happening because it was constantly on the news the farm invasion. And I didn't even think it had anything to do with me. And I was like, oh no, Mrs. Munoz said this about me in school. Oh no, am I going to whatever? And you know how it is, who am I? I was very much one of those, <laughs> who, who am I? I?
0: I think that's human though, isn't it? It's not just because you're young. I think even our primary things are our own stories and the other political
1: things are sort like, of and you, extra. And the extra. And then you look up and, you know, Rome is burning. And you're like, what the heck happened? What the heck? So, yeah. So, that's what happened is about with. So, I mean, everything is fine. And everything is okay. And then, all of a sudden, it's all, it's all going to crap. And now, and it's been like that for, like, 20 years now. So, that's our reality. That's our, like... Because you guys have the millennial thing about how it's difficult. And it is. You know, how life is more difficult for millennials.
0: I think it's... Things are just less clear and we've had to live through so much more. I mean, we lived through... We grew up in the 90s where, at least in America, things were pretty good. And we lived a good life, and the economy was good. The 9-11 happened, and we had Mm -hmm. a new thing to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. At least in America, we have mass shootings all the time that we have to worry about. The economy crashed, and the economy crash led to big corporations and big banks consolidating power. Instead of being punished for screwing up the economy, they consolidate this power. Then now that they have these monopolies, they can pay people lower wages. I mean, you're getting a job now. They're not giving you pensions anymore. Like healthcare costs are going up. And so it is tough to be a millennial economically, but conversely, there's never been a better time to be alive. So it's weird. We have less economic opportunity, mm. but at the same time, people are always innovating and creating new apps and creating new startups. And it feels like you can do anything, but it also feels like if you're not on the way up, you're being crushed.
1: That's deep, man.
0: Thanks, That's man. Deep. That's
1: deep. <laughs> yeah. That is true. But then, but then now in Zimbabwe, though, it's... It's sort of the same, but it's different. For example, like when I was... Like, when my my, my dad was, like... The, you know, the generation after independence. So, they're the ones who came of age after independence. So, it was a time when education was so cheap. And, like, the government really helps people. Like, they helped with education. They helped... So, if you're, like, for example, a medical student, you get, like, subsidies and, like, stipends. So, my dad wasn't... was, like, an agricultural student because he doesn't like blood. And then, by But he... With that stipend he got as an agriculture student, he managed to take to pay for the rest of his family, which is like eleven boys, to go to school and to go through school and to, to start their own lives with the stipends he had, as well as raise a family. But in our age we can't do that. You can't you can't be like as a doctor in Zimbabwe, you can't afford to get a mortgage. You can't afford to buy a house, you can't afford to actually build a proper life. So it's like a different, it's a different life that we're facing. And also, most people don't stay in Zimbabwe. So the people that I grew up with, like the group of children in my town that I grew up with, like 90% of them are not in Zimbabwe anymore. They're all over. Some of them are in the UK, some in Australia, a few in America, very few though, because visas in America, very difficult. Most, a lot are in South Africa and that kind of thing. Mm. Good so good. like... People don't stay, yeah. It's because there's no economic opportunity, There's no... but yeah. It's no, well, yeah, opportunities. So, like, towns are dying, you know. And it's just, like, the land of the old and the very, very young. That's Zimbabwe now. And then we have all these African problems, you know, HIV, starvation, malnutrition, all that stuff as well that you have to... You get used to really quickly, actually. So, so we have a different way of looking at life. And we have different expectations of of governments in the world.
0: Well, it's interesting that it sounds kind of that there's similar problems between the um, the young people in Zimbabwe and the young people in America. Mm-hmm. We all go to the big cities because that's where the opportunities are. And the people that are left behind these smaller towns are older people and,
1: yeah.
0: and kids. Yeah. And my whole thing is I think if, if we can get those young people going back, that's when you can solve the problems because it's the people that have the energy to actually change things. When you clump up in the cities, everyone's competing for the same jobs or trying to compete for the same opportunities. And you spend all this energy competing against each other. Whereas if you go back to these smaller towns, you can actually build something and there are resources and you can make something new and you're probably going to be the only one doing it. Okay. So I feel like we've gotten into some really deep stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I don't really, this next interview is probably going to feel a little, um,
1: no, I want to Tridial. hear it. I yes. mean, it's,
0: it's just about... So I went from Dartmouth to a town called North Conway, and I met up with my friend Sarah, mm-hmm. and she works for this outdoor wilderness program, kind of like your summer camp, but it's yes. for kids that are going through difficulties, maybe have problems with mental illness, and basically they take them on a trip through New Hampshire to learn leadership skills on their own out in the woods and basically says that if you go and you find how to build a tent, build a fire, lead a group,
1: oh my God. you won't get oh over. My God. I don't play the African card a lot. I do. I don't know. But I am too African to go camping. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like the camping thing that I did, they were like proper houses or so like running water and things. Yeah. I don't, I don't do camping. And then like,
0: you're too African to go camping. You, know,
1: you, you don't. Go out in the bush and build a fire if you don't have to. Like, it's like, it's not like I go to the rural areas to see my grandmother. Yes, I have to stay in a hut with like a smoky fire. Yes. So, I'm not going to do it for fun. I'm not going to, like, oh, yes, I need to get back in touch with nature. Screw nature. I don't mean that. I like butterflies, but I don't like camping. (laughs) I don't camp. So, I don't, like, if I was having like a tough time in my life, please don't send me camping. That would help me.
0: What about the leadership skills you'd acquire?
1: I feel like I have better leadership skills in a hotel. <laughs> in a spa. I'd be like, yes. I want the cucumber thing on my eyes.
0: <laughs> then, okay. I, no. I'm kind of the same way. Like, I hate being cold. I hate being hot. I hate... I like being at the right temperature inside. Exactly. yeah. Wrapped in a blanket with a hot water bottle on my lap, like right now. But, uh, yeah, so basically we were just talking about this sort of culture of people that sort of come in for a little bit and then they go out. So they kind of work two weeks on get a week (laughs) off, go out again. We stayed in this house where I stayed on someone's couch and we had this really nice night, but these people lived in this apartment, but some people were there sometimes some people were not there other times. And this guy rolls in at like seven in the morning. He's, shivering he's got chills all over he has a fever and he just wraps himself in a sleeping bag and lays on the floor because there's no room for him and they're like oh yeah this is jonah he um yeah he just got back from like two weeks out in in oh the my mountains
1: goodness. oh my goodness
0: but it's like he doesn't have a permanent home and uh so we just sort of talked about what it's like to live in a transient." population oh, that
1: sounds- i'll show you
0: the picture of of jonah when he got in right.
1: i thought you were going to do something funny right that sounds quite sad
0: it's not funny. <laughs> i thought it was funny oh, okay. I'll, okay. Show, I'll show you the picture um here's the picture of uh of what i walked into
1: oh my goodness so is he sleeping day
0: yeah just propped up against a cabinet wrapped in an orange sleeping bag
1: like like in the front of the stove in the kitchen
0: probably very sick i'm not even sure if he at health care that's the thing, if you're in America and hmm. you you don't have healthcare, just you're on your own, man.
1: That's quite sad though. I feel like that's one of them the things that you guys have really really got wrong actually is the healthcare thing. And like look at me talking, me Zimbabwean, right? Like we have fantastic healthcare. We don't. But I think like that's one of the things that I really admire about this country, the UK. Because having the national health services is, is fantastic. No one would be sick and like lying on the floor with no way to go, you know. Because you can always just go to any or to a GP or something.
0: And you work for the NHS.
1: I don't. No, I work for a private company. So yes, but once I get into training, I'll be working for the NHS.
0: But how does that work? Work for a private company?
1: Ah, because because the private companies are the ones that come to Africa to recruit doctors.
0: Why? Why would a private company exist if there's the NHS?
1: Because some people don't want to be in the NHS. Because the NHS is really good. It's not as good it, as good as it used to be. So, for example, I work for a private company that supplies doctors to psychiatry hospitals. So I work for like psychiatric hospitals, private psychiatric hospitals now, like a group, private group, which is like a private psychiatry hospital. So some people don't want to go into the NHS services with like. Psychiatric issues, like with mental health issues,
0: they want to be sort of tucked away. So, is it a little nicer where you are?
1: It's a little nicer. uh It's fancy. They've got nice food, but I've never worked in a psychiatric hospital in the NHS, so I'm not sure how different it is. But for example, where I work, because we used to have an NHS wing and then in the private wing. So, for the NHS wing, they come in with more severe symptoms. So the NHS wouldn't provide care if you're like, oh, I'm feeling quite exhausted <laughs> and I'm, I'm very anxious, which is which is, which is valid. Which is yeah. valid. I do not want to, yeah. Which is valid. Because sometimes like you get really anxious, you just need some time out. But the NHS is not going to fund that. Yeah.
2: But if you have
1: money for that, then they will fund that. Or, for example, like we have a rehab centre. So the NHS would probably fund detoxic, yeah, detox. So they'll fund like 10 days' worth of detox or something. But they wouldn't find, like, a 28-day stay in a rehab. So if you have your own money, then you can get those services.
0: And the food's probably better. They probably, like, buy the good prosciutto at yours?
1: Yes, they do. We have, no. they have nice food. Because I'm, like, because I am a resident doctor there. So I, I stay there for the weekend, I eat there and everything. So I eat with like the fancy people. Or we even get so fancy, we have like Eton mess and Eton mess. have you ever heard that? It's like, you know Eton, like the fancy school. Like I think it's, it came from the, their dessert. I don't know. Like it's like, it looks quite messy, but it's like creamy and like moussey, creamy stuff. Or like mashed up. Sounds yeah. like a mess. Yes. <laughs> but like it's supposed to be a delicious mess. It's, it's good.
0: Okay, that's, that's me. I'm a delicious mess. That's I <laughs> self describe, self identify. Well, great. You've been an amazing, illuminating guest. And I guess, do you have any questions left for me um, about New Hampshire, America?
1: I know, but I know. I have to say, though, when I was listening to this, like, even though I was making fun of the camping thing, I, I really admire that. I really admire like That's one thing I really admire about American people, is, like, you, this drive that you guys have, like, when you really believe in something... You really stand for it, and you really make an effort, and you know, and do what you need to do, because, I don't think I'm like that anyway. So you're, you know, sometimes your ideas are a bit, eh, but you're really, <laughs> but you're really idealistic, and you really stand for what you believe in, and I really admire that actually. So you know, taking kids into the woods to teach them leadership skills—it's really admirable, even though I wouldn't do it because we don't camp where I come from. We go to see grandmother in the village and then that's it for the year that is
0: but. anyway Mako it's been so lovely having you on um, thank this you is for a ro- having me oh thank you for being here it's a rotating yes. roster of guests okay, so yes, we yes. might see you again soon
1: maybe please don't make me look like a douchebag
0: I, a douchebag Nothing I could is never but it's literally uh, or yes. figurative literally um it's uh oh it's
1: like an embarrassing one for you poor man. Oh, I'm so sorry
0: thanks for listening for more information about 50 States of Mind, visit us on our website 50statesofmind.org or like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at 50 States of Mind. A big thank you to the band Bright Moments for the use of their song Travelers from the album Natives. Questions? Send us an email at 50statesofmindusa at gmail.com. See you next time.